Hello and welcome back to Radio Rothbard. I'm Ryan McMakin. I'm executive editor at the Mises Institute. And with me, as always, is my associate editor, Tho Bishop. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the issue of defamation this time. And this has come up more and more, surprisingly. It seems like some minor legal issue is what it should be. Uh, you don't really talk about libel and slander and those sorts of things in daily life a whole lot. Most normal people don't really hire attorneys to sue people when they badmouth them. But what's been interesting is this, this nexus between uh, suing people for defamation and essentially silencing them on things that really don't have much to do with really uh, criticizing people specifically for their private lives and things like that. These are just issues where people are finding themselves in trouble with the regime uh, because people are spinning more and more creative ways to sue them for defamation, which has the end result of shutting people up and using the legal system to do that. And if you look back at the writings of Rothbard and some of the more hardcore libertarian writings, Walter Block, for example, there's a great skepticism of whether defamation is even a real issue. Uh, because, right, how is me saying things some sort of violence or aggression against another person? So we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. And But just as an illustration of how absurd the whole issue has become. I, I noticed that just the other day, Donald Trump was found guilty in, in a civil trial and found liable for defaming a woman. And what did this defamation consist of? He denied that he was guilty of the charges that, that she was leveling against her. And usual Trumpian language, oh, she's awful. I don't even know who this woman is. And somehow then this counts as defamation. But this example, I think, serves a good point of how absurd, really, defamation is once you start to pick it apart. Because let's just consider a situation where Trump says something nasty about another person. Okay. So some woman said Trump did something uh, illegal, violent, awful toward her. She, he then, in response, says, oh, she's ugly, and I hate her, and she's stupid, and I would never touch her and she's lying. All right. Well, God forbid Donald Trump say that I'm lying. Because we all know everybody uh, uh, believes automatically everything Donald Trump says. But de the concept of defamation is heavily based on this idea that you say something and everyone else just automatically takes it under consideration and considers it plausible. But the last time I checked, we don't live in a society where everything that Donald Trump says is considered of the utmost veracity. And of course, yeah, the man has his devoted followers who apparently believe most everything he says, but I would submit that even a lot of his devoted followers know that he's just full of BS a lot of the time. They just like him because they figure this guy's better than the other scum that's running for president. So I think that's something we have to keep in mind is Trump said something, why are we supposed to believe that damages were then incurred as a result of Trump saying something, because it would seem the assumption then is that everyone believes what he said, and therefore now they hate this woman too, because Trump said he hates her and that she's dishonest. 
I, I don't see how that translates into society in general ostracizing this woman because the word of Donald Trump ha holds so much weight. Uh, so I find just the whole premise to be absurd, and I don't think I'm the only one, right, though? I mean, I think there's been a definite strain of thought along these lines just from other writers uh, like Block and Rothbard as well. Right. And I think this issue of defamation is one that is going to be an increasingly important one because the number one concern of the regime, right, is misinformation. It's uh, conspiracy theories. It's the undermining of democracy um, by saying things that aren't approved. And of course, the way this mechanism is working right now, it, it goes one way. This, again, is another example of a New York City jury finding Trump guilty of something in this particular case. And I think you could probably find, you know, you prosecute Trump for just about anything right now and probably have a jury of Democrats find him guilty. And chances are you're gonna get that if you're in a city like New York, if you're in Washington, DC. Um, you know, we've seen this play out. I mean, the, the Alex Jones lawsuit and the, the damages that, uh, you know, that the court found him guilty of for things that he said or didn't say on his show. There's this very sinister dynamic of the, you know, increasing politicalization of the court system. Obviously, there's always been part of that baked in there. But the, the weaponization of defamation laws, I think, is only something that is, is going to grow. And actually, someone who had a good article about this uh, not that long ago was Brian Kaplan, um, who talked about the use of lawsuits as the hitmen of the state. Um, and he was comparing, in his article, um, the Texas abortion heartbeat bill, where there was a dynamic where citizens could file lawsuits on behalf of you know, an unborn child if they suspected the parent of you know, having an abortion across state borders or whatever. Um, and so he said, well, here's an example of this on the conservative side of lawsuits being used as a weapon of the state. But you can also look at some of the changes in terms of, you know, hostile work environments where the, the court has found that, you know, you have explicitly have to silence uh, Archie Bunker types, which is the, actually within the judicial decision there. Archie Bunker types, you know, you, you can't allow people to say things that will offend someone. And obviously that's a little bit of a different dynamic than saying something publicly against you as in the case of defamation law. But we're very clearly seeing that the use of language is an increasingly weaponized phenomenon. There is willingness within the court system to act upon this. Because I have a feeling that you're not going to see, you know, when, when CNN you know, does a report about Tucker Carlson moving his show to Twitter, and they have right there, you know, in the tweet, in the article, headlining it, right-wing extremist Tucker Carlson starts show after, you know, all this words violence stuff. I have a feeling that Tucker Carlson is not going to find any defense, you know, from, from a defamation case by these statements. This is something that I think increasingly goes uh, one way with the way that the current sort of ideology of a lot of the, the judicial system, and again, this ability to pick and choose exactly what environment you're in, um, play, plays a role here. So this is increasingly becoming, I, I think, one of the tools being used to silence dissent, and particularly those who have opinions that go very much against the you know, standing wishes of the ruling regime. Yeah, and I think that is the proper term, that it's being weaponized, essentially. 
Um, and just for people who aren't terribly familiar, right, when we're talking about defamation, um, slander or libel, we're talking about the basic argument here is that person A says something and then uh, against person B and then person C, D, E, and F then refuse to hire person B or ostracize person B or refuse to do business with person B all based on what something person A said. Now, if we look at the history of this issue, uh, you can find that, obviously, historically, you did have people uh, who would fight over issues of honor, right? You've impugned my family, so we're going to fight. And that actually the legal issue of defamation was in many ways invented to address the problem of duels, um, people who romanticize the past act like duels were some great thing, but of course the church has con condemned dueling for many, many centuries uh, because <laughs> saying something nasty about a person in Christianity is not uh, proportional to taking a human life. And so the idea of dueling has, has long been considered uh, unacceptable. Uh, of course, that didn't stop people from doing it. People listened to the Pope or bishops 500 years ago about as much as they do now. And so a lot of these legal issues were uh, invented so that people had some way of, metaphorically speaking, having their day in court, right? So that, hey, so-and-so is, is uh, bad-mouthing me constantly, and I just want him to stop. And so at least in the Anglo-Saxon countries, defamation suits, historically, they did exist, but penalties were often like nothing. They were small, minor, like a couple of pounds uh, at most sort of uh, penalties. And it was designed to allow people to have a public voice, and it was not designed to bankrupt the person who lost the case uh, or to impact them heavily financially. And that, of course, is a world away from where we are now, where you have a company like Dominion, and this is kind of what precipitated, I think, our, our thinking about why we should do this episode. And the bigger issue, it's not just this, this Trump defamation thing is actually a fairly minor issue in terms of the big scheme of things. I think the bigger issue is stuff like the Dominion lawsuit. Now, Dominion is this fake private company. So it's, uh, it's technically, legally a private company, but their revenues are virtually 100% government taxpayer revenues. And uh, they're, they're as much private sector company as any company that only does business with the government. And so they were claiming that people in the media, uh, legit journalists in many cases, were saying nasty things about Dominion. You know, that Dominion was somehow involved in uh, vote uh, faking and manipulation and that sort of thing, somehow related to the... Uh, the election being stolen. And the, this house somehow defamed Dominion and Dominion incurred damages because of it. What were these damages? Difficult to see since all their clients were government agents. 
who probably weren't very much persuaded by what somebody, somebody on Fox News was saying or what Trump was saying and so on. But they managed to sue for hundreds of millions of dollars. They're still suing for uh, they're they're suing uh, the C- the CEO of my pillow they're suing uh, Sydney whatever her last name is uh, the the attorney for Trump they sued Fox News for a uh, billion dollars or so they ended up settling for 780 million or something like that these are absurd numbers uh, the idea that Dominion suffered hundreds of millions of dollars in damages is garbage and on top of that is the fact that Dominion is essentially a government agency and you can see see, you can start to see immediately the dangers of not only just defamation overall, but the idea that a government agent or a taxpayer-funded entity of any kind could then sue for defamation. Because what you've got now is a monopoly organization that taxpayers are being forced to pay for, and then they're turning around and suing members of the public for saying nasty things about them. And uh, since the 1960s, it's been... Uh, a legal precedent in the U.S. that uh, a government agency, a government person cannot sue uh, for defamation. And the reason for that was a case, I believe it was Sullivan versus New York Times, 1968 or so, um, where what you had was local government agents, sheriffs in some cases, or local police chiefs and so on, The New York Times was saying nasty things about them in terms of uh, enforcing Jim Crow laws and that sort of thing. And so these local guys decided, well, you know what, I'm going to sue the New York Times to shut them up because I'm tired of them criticizing me. And so they sued. Uh, and it went up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, no, this is, this is nonsense, the idea that these, these public figures can sue uh, a private organization uh, to, to shut them up. And if you're a public figure, you're open to criticism. If you don't like it, stop being a public figure. And, and, I, would, and I would add, if you don't like being criticized by the taxpayer, stop being a taxpayer-funded entity, Dominion. And so you can see how it's kind of spiraling down now, where you're being forced to pay for organizations (laughs) that then sue the private sector for criticizing them. And uh, this uh, is a very bad trend, and it it absolutely is the weaponization, as you say, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Right, and some of the other individuals included, I mean, Sidney Powell, as you mentioned, Rudy Giuliani, um, has been personally targeted. Our, our friend uh, Patrick Byrne um, has has been targeted, and in his case, it was for um, you know having you know, analysts of his create a report that had some concerns there. Um, and they they are they're, they're trying to to make an example out of these people to silence any sort of dissent about the sacredness of the democratic process. And don't you know, there's never ever ever been been any serious issues. Of, of voter integrity or, or concerns about voting machines, which of course, you know, you could have found, you know, published in, you know, such fringe places as the New York Times prior to uh, 2020. Um, and it is, it's, it's a way of trying to silence, trying to, to weaponize the court system against those who have very serious concerns about, you know, institutions like Dominion about, and, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's something that you know, the, the, there, there is so much, um, you know, the, the, the justice system, legal system has been 
seen for the most part as you know that last sort of institution of, of somewhat political norms. We've seen so the respectability of Congress go way, way down, um, deservedly so. Um, we see the office of the presidency become extremely polarized. We're seeing attacks right now on the Supreme Court as a very specific entity um, with some of the allegations being made against Clarence Thomas in particular. And you're already starting to see the drum beats of, oh, we've got to disqualify you know, Supreme Court decisions that you know, certain people don't like because Clarence Thomas was involved in it and he has to be removed and things like that. Um, the court system, which has plenty of problems, <laughs> Right? There's, there's all sorts of, of, of very, very real issues in a variety of ways in the court system. That was always kind of, however, seen as a, a politically neutral sort of institution. And I think the breakdown of that facade is very important. It's going to be interesting to see you know, that, that the state level aspect of this is, is very interesting as, as well. Because now, again, I, I think that you know, one, of, one of the trends that I've, I've you know, really kind of become interested in personally is the, again, what we're kind of seeing, I, I think all this is kind of baked into a certain a bit of, of like a civil liberties framework and, and you know, the, the 20th century breakaway from property rights to civil rights. And now increasingly those civil rights now include, right, you know, the, the ability to, to not have, you know, someone say nasty things about you, right? So that, that is protection, particularly if you're in a certain group um, that the state favors. And you know this has been something that I, I think has ratcheted things politically, has grown, you know, interventionist policies, has eroded property rights and the like. And so it's going to be interesting to see if you know is this a dynamic where the right does what it so often does and it complains about mistreatment, yada yada yada, and has no response to it, or is this something where you know states try to take an, an active role in trying to protect citizens from this this sort of legal threat, similar to how. Um, you know, you, you saw certain legal protections over, you know, vaccine mandates and things like that when you saw that sort of pressure from the federal regime. Um, because again, I, you know, we, we, we see that in this, this political dynamic, again, the, the, the entire concept of, you know, the, the sort of liberal norms of difference of opinion, of, of allowing for, you know, some level of, of coexistence and kind of the, the, the recognition that you're going to have certain people that have very hostile, heated, Arguments again, you know, as you mentioned, there's, there's certainly, you know, going back to all of American history, you've had people that have said very, very nasty things about different political opponents, about different entities, you know, the, the, the Hamilton, you know, Burr, Burr debate, which going back to your point about uh, the church's uh, uh, condemnation of dueling, I, I think even Hamilton had his, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the priests were very concerned about how to deal with that. <laughs> You know, g g given that situation there, so this is something that has long historical precedence in American. Well, they history. had to go across state um, lines, again, right, in order to do the dual legal. Yeah, right. And and so increasingly, this is this is something you know that that you know we're now in a time where this cannot be accepted, and so this is not you know they they would love to see again you know Fox News settled, and I think their settlement was you know, just short of eight hundred million dollars. I think the original lawsuit was something north of two billion. Um, there's also been you know, legal action against Newsmax, against OAN, against some of these instances that simply for platforming certain people like Sidney Powell. And again, I'm not here to defend um, the veracity of what Sidney Powell was claiming. It seems that you know Tucker Carlson's opinion of, of Sidney Powell kind of mirrors mine in that regard. But, but you're already seeing, and again, I think that Tucker situation that we talked about last week plays into this. Um, while there are different claims being made about you know, why was Tucker kicked off of Fox, 
um, you know, I saw a report last night that, you know, one of the board members of Fox News said that, you know, the Dominion lawsuit aspect was one of the reasons why his show was canceled, not technically fired yet because he's still on the payroll, but that, that show was canceled. And so you get, again, that, that larger self-censoring dynamic if you have this one big bad entity that has an army of lawyers that are serving as de facto activists for a very powerful entity, um, that, that threat of having that sword above you is going to certainly change the way that you know, private companies operate and censor content out there. And that's something that, again, I, I think is contributing to this increasingly stifled um, you know, free speech environment. Yeah, that's an important point too, is that uh, we can find cases where, especially in countries where it's easier to prove defamation, uh, one of the great things about America, <laughs> my, my listeners will be shocked to hear me sing the praises of the greatness of America, but one of the great things about America is that freedom of speech has been way more absolute here than in most places. And it's, it's, uh, it's been under attack, it's on its last legs, hopefully we can fight back. Uh, but in most countries, there's not nearly as much freedom of speech. And part of that tradition has been that it's been very difficult to prove libel historically or prove defamation historically in the United States. You have to prove that the person said something that was untrue, that they knew it was untrue, that they wanted to do you harm. And proving intent is very difficult in a real court of law. In, in federal courts, it's, uh, <laughs> intent doesn't matter that much. Just yet another illustration of how bad uh, federal courts are. But uh, historically, it's very hard to prove intent. And so people will shop around different countries when they're rich uh, for a good place to sue someone for defamation. Or they'll even shop around in states, because even within the United States, there's a bit of a variation from state to state as to which state makes it easier to sue for defamation in. It's not a coincidence that Johnny Depp decided to sue Amber Heard for defamation in the state of Virginia. Uh, because it was easier to prove defamation in that state. And that, of course, just proves our, our thing again, is right, is, is just because Amber Heard says something, we're all automatically supposed to believe it and therefore uh, stop watching Johnny Depp movies. I don't have a high opinion of either of these people particularly, but I couldn't care less what Amber Heard says about anything. So the, <laughs> the idea that she's doing harm by, by just saying things nasty about Johnny Depp Mm, isn't it the people who refuse to do business with Depp based on the rantings of some crazy woman? Aren't they the ones actually doing the harm? Uh, so it's hard to see how she is directly imposing any sort of real harm on him with words. Nevertheless, uh, different states have different views on that. And Depp had the money and the ability to sue for defamation. Most people don't. But in, uh, say, in the United Kingdom, where it's easier to prove defamation, uh, and to a lesser extent in the United States, because it's so hard to prove. But in both cases, you will have uh, cases where very wealthy parties will sue people for defamation just to shut them up. And you can tie them up in court, and you can get, uh, of course, court orders against them, and gag orders, and you can't talk about the case anymore while it's at trial. And there's all sorts of tricks that the wealthy can use using defamation law to shut up less powerful people. And in one of my articles on this, we'll, we'll link uh, below, I note how this has been a long-used tactic 
by members of the various ruling classes in the Middle East. So when this has actually happened, where journalists have criticized the blood-soaked Saudi dictators, and someone then from those groups of people, some, some prince, Saudi prince then sues the journalist in British court. They know they wouldn't get very far in American court, so they sue them in British court because that publication circulated in the UK. And so now that person can never travel to the UK uh, or they're going to face huge penalties. And they've succeeded. These horrible people uh, who are essentially government agents in these countries committing horrible human rights violations, they can sue journalists to shut them up because that's quote unquote defamation. And that is, that's not something they invented. The rich people can use defamation laws to destroy poor people. And it's been done many, many times. And as long as you have those laws on the books, freedom of speech is not absolute. And it can, of course, then be applied uh, just arbitrarily. I just don't like this person. They said something mildly critical of me. I've got a bunch of extra money floating around. So I'm just going to, I'm going to budget $10 million this year to ruin that person. Uh, for saying bad things about me, for criticizing me. And that's the way business is done. It's uh, uh, the laws of uh, the, the scales of justice in this case are whoever can pile the most money on one side of those scales will get what they want. And uh, defamation laws go a long way toward making that a reality. And touching upon you know, the point you made about kind of the uniqueness of the American tradition of free speech, I think it is worthwhile noting, you know, if we compare it to those other bastions of modern liberalism, um, particularly Europe and Canada, we're seeing, um, you know, so particularly I think in Canada, there's, there's two cases recently that I saw um, where, we, you know, I think we see that ratcheting effect up of the weaponization of, of uh, you know, libel and defamation law. And again, surprise, surprise, you know, here are the, you know, one of them was Greenpeace, um, you know, uh, successfully after years in court, um, you know, having uh, a court victories over a logging company, um, you know, that said, you know, that, that, that claimed that Greenpeace was, um, you know, guilty of, of malicious lies, um, raising money for their organization by claiming that they were destroying Canadian forest. Um, Greenpeace sued the, the logging company for defamation and recently, um, the Greenpeace won a major victory <laughs> on, on that, which again, I think you can kind of see that the larger agenda there um, probably played a role. If, if the roles were reversed, I have a feeling the blogging company would be less successful with Greenpeace given the dynamic of Canada. You also saw an attorney with uh, defending the, the Canadian trucker freedom convoy uh, protesting the, the vaccine tyranny of Trudeau. Um, you know, he had to settle out of court um, after making claims that some of the you know, Nazi flags and the Confederate flags, you know, in some of the, the protests and demonstration areas were planted, right, to, to, to defame and, and to, to, to knock down the, the validity and the, the, you know, good nature of the majority of the protesters there. You know, he was brought up by defamation charges. He had to settle out of court and, you know, the details are not revealed, but I'm sure, you know, it cost him money um, in Europe. Um, you know, the last time I saw kind of a comprehensive report on the defamation laws um, in Europe was 2015, which is kind of an entirely different world now, right? You know, this was a, a nonprofit criticizing um, the harshness of European defamation laws 
um, as a threat on free speech. I have a feeling that, again, the, the tone there has now changed where it's important to have that sort of restriction because we can't allow another Brexit on our hands, right? Um, you know, but the number of European countries um, that not only have very strong tools in the can for enforcing defamation lawsuits, um, but can explicitly arrest you and, and, and serve criminal charges, that you can serve jail time um, for, for defamation is quite high. Um, and so again, like this is something that there is a, a uniqueness within, you know, it's not often that we can wave, you know, the American flag and, you know, be on, be on Team America. Um, uh, and again, th this is the dynamic though, is that we are, you know, the, 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 there is, I think, a, a concerted effort to Europeanize Americans' concept of free speech. And some of this has been baked into, I have a, an attorney friend um, who has talked about for years the way that social media companies, um, and obviously Twitter now is a little bit of a different dynamic with Elon Musk on board, but that the de facto legal basis that social media companies and big tech have been using to filter their content has been, you know, relying upon European law, international, you know, the, the, that international dynamic rather than any sort of, you know, American respect for for freedom of speech when they are writing their censorship rules for their own companies. And so this is where, again, I, I think the cesspool, you know, the, the, the European unionization of, uh, you know, the, the West is something that I think is definitely at play here. And I think it's, again, this, this is why this is such a major, major issue on this front. Yeah, I think the continent is even worse than the UK in terms of defamation law and yeah. ease, ease of suing. So, uh, yeah, you're not going to get much help there. I mean, as you say, you can get arrested for saying something that's interpreted as anti-Semitic and things like that. So... I mean, just astounding uh, what you can be uh, hauled into court for in terms of saying things. And I thought we were beyond the whole idea here among libertarians or, or free, uh, freedom-promoting people, this idea that words are violence. But in my most recent defamation article, we had some of our – one guy recognizes a regular reader saying that, oh, well, you have to have defamation laws in place. Um, because uh, saying nasty things about people is a form of aggression. I'm like, listen to yourself. This is, this is exactly what the left says. Silence is violence. Saying things is aggression. Uh, and hurting people's feelings means you should be jailed. I, I mean, it's, uh, it's apparently so baked into some people's heads that uh, we're having a hard time even with some of our more devoted readers on this. And you can see how just inappropriate it even is now in the modern world. Most of this stuff, you can see how it might have made sense in a small village setting. So, and that's, that's really where it comes out of, is we're an agrarian society, you live in a village, and the local lord or, or the local rich guy uh, starts spreading nasty rumors about you. And since this guy controls employment in the village and is very powerful, uh, you don't have anywhere else to go. You, can, you would have to pick up and move and leave the village, uh, which back then, of course, was especially costly just to move 50 miles down the road. Uh, and so you could even see how it might work in that case. And maybe in some settings, it still might, some make, might make some sense at a very local level. But for goodness sake, I mean, we're living in the age of the internet. Uh, people saying all sorts of things all the time. And we're still thinking, we still think it's acceptable to just hear something somebody else said and just take it at face value. 
Uh, that would seem that that's the bigger problem in society, that people are so gullible and willing to believe just anything some rando says about some other person. And we really need to be move beyond that. Uh, this whole idea that there's objective journalism, this idea that there's this, uh, uh, this, this correct reporting about things. I mean, isn't it obvious that the news, it's mostly opinion, it's the way it's framed, it's there to deceive, it's there to mislead. We're constantly being misled. You can't even believe videos you see now because of deep fakes that people are saying things and AI fake voices and stuff. Boy, if <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a world of hurt if we're still going to cling to this idea that just saying things uh, based on this idea that everyone just believes whatever they're seeing or being told that you can create a legal argument around that. Uh, I just don't see how that can survive much longer without uh, just creating a complete legal free-for-all. Right. I'm, I'm, I am looking forward to the, the AI Radio Rothbard episodes we'll, we'll have in the future. Um, you know, just we'll have, we'll have deep fake Ryan and we'll have deep fake me and you know, we can churn out a lot of content with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do have, um, again, you know, I, I have some sympathy with, okay, well, maybe you know, there, there's a role here for, for common law and a kind of a decentralized legal system. You may have some stronger protection somewhere rather than another fine. I mean, I, I think any sort of pursuit of, of some sort of, of you know, universalist, you know, legal regime has inherent problems that come with universalistic politics. But, but again, the, the ignoring just the, the realities of the way that the enforcement mechanisms exist as they are right now, and to not see that you know, there are certain powerful forces that are very explicitly illiberal in nature that have completely given away any sort of concept of, of tolerance or, or persuasion or, or you know, ideological debate. Um, you know, you have to you have to recognize again, and, and again, we've we've already seen it, and and I think that the trend that and it's it's you know it, it mirrors again the, the the trends on on big tech censorship, right? You know, where they started off with you know Alex Jones getting kicked off of Twitter and a bunch of hateful people getting kicked off of Twitter, and I'm not trying to conflate the two. You know, I, I don't think Alex Jones is a hateful person. Um, you know, you had you know certain you know just regime libertarians and others celebrating this as oh well, this is an example of a private company at work. And then it starts going into people questioning vaccines and uh, the, you know, the COVID vaccine or COVID policies in a general sense. And you, know, it, it's, you always start in the same way that the weaponization of the money and banking system started off with debanking Al-Qaeda you know, allies. And who would argue that? Because Al-Qaeda allies are obviously bad, North Korea bad. But you, know, you start breaking enough, you start getting aggressive enough, you start having, again, you know, the, these policies that I think are increasingly, you know, if we recognize that the progressive tendency is always baked into this sort of, of imperialistic, um, you know, crusade of their ideology, um, you know, that, that ideology has changed over time. I'm certainly not going to, you know, assert that the, the cultural views of Woodrow Wilson are the same as uh, AOC in today's world, but that progressive mentality continues to exist. And you see the makeup of the court system. Um, and this, this goes into a whole other dynamic, right? You know, we could talk about the way that um, the education, the academic system and all the state subsidies in there, the changing of the incentive structures that prioritize those of a certain ideology, right? If you're applying to Harvard Law or Yale Law, you know, the, the, the value increasingly placed upon, you know, your, your life experience, which often, you know, is rewarded from, you know, being a participant in all the right causes and doing this X, Y, and Z, rather than, you know, your, your uh, you know, LSAT score, right, or some of these, you know, raw measurements of, of you know, competency or, or, you know, critical thinking skills, you have an entire shift 
you know, the, 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 the starting at the academic level, you're having a shift in the type of judge that you're getting. Um, the Biden administration is, and, and there's, there's now been you know, also this sort of race within the uh, political system, right, of, of packing the court system. So, you know, Trump passed more judges than Obama did. Um, by a great number. Now Biden already two years in has packed, you know, has appointed a lot more judges than Trump did in his four years, right? So there's this arms race within the judicial system that is again skewed by the feeding mechanisms into elite law schools. And when you consider again, what that ideological lens is going to have, you know, we should be very skeptical. <laughs> you know, we, we should not see these things as neutral institutions simply trying to find justice and, and protect people from, you know, you know, egregious, you know, torts. These are politicized institutions, and particularly on the level, the scale of a Dominion lawsuit of some of these others, um, there is a larger political objective and goal there. And it would, it would certainly be naive to, to overlook that very, I think, increasingly obvious fact. Yeah, I think that's an important point to be made. And yeah, let's let that be the last word then on uh, this episode well, of Radio Rothbard. Well, before we sign off though, <laughs> speaking of, again, our audience obviously being R Radio Rothbard listeners, I know they are not fooled. They, they are not uh, bamboozled by the state in this regard, but I do want to give a shout out to a few people that have purchased our fantastic Radio Rothbard mug uh, that I am enjoying. Uh, and this includes uh, Brian in Arizona. We actually had a lot of Brian's. We have a Brian in Arizona, in Las Vegas, one even in Panama City Beach, Florida, which I gotta find, um, a David in Brooklyn, a, a John in Stafford Springs, Colorado. Have you been to Col uh, Stafford Springs, Colorado? I, have, I confess I have never heard of Stafford Springs. <laughs> well then, you know, we've got, we've got reaches everywhere. So again, we've, got, we've had a few others, including I know Mark Thornton, has his own shiny new Radio Rothbard glass, or mug that he will be debuting next time he's on this show. Um, so I do want to thank our listeners who have purchased their very fine Radio Rothbard mug, and uh, you are you're certainly appreciated of it. Well, there. and of course, I certainly have my mug, and uh, who knows what other uh, swag we will have over the years. We shall see. Where <laughs> I feel very fortunate our traffic has been growing, and uh, so we do have more listeners. We do appreciate all of you, those of you who share it, um, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised people like the show as much as they do. Uh, so that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a d demand for McMakin. Yeah. Uh, we, we are, we're still, still working Truly shocking. Uh, but thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in to this episode of Radio Rothbard. And, of course, we'll be back again next time with more. And so until then, uh, have a great week.